Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, the sun came up on Sunday morning. Came up in Eugene. Came up uh, all across the Pac-12 footprint. And what we have now this week is what I think is the most compelling week yet in Pac-12 football. We'll talk about it on today's show. We'll dive deep. We'll answer all the questions. But i got to start with Dan Lanning at Oregon. See, I like Dan Lanning at Oregon. I don't know if you picked that up. In fact, I like Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. I think Oregon and Oregon State are in, in good hands. I also expected that we would see some growing pains. If you listen to this show, you know I've talked about it from the beginning. I thought first-time, first-year head coach, youngest coach in Power 5 football, coordinators on defense and offense that were relatively unproven I thought we'd see some growing pains in fact I thought we'd see it pretty early but we didn't I mean aside from the Georgia loss in week one Oregon was terrific especially on the offensive side of the ball Dan Lanning looked like he was in complete control all the way up until last Saturday night when Oregon got beat by Washington at Autzen Stadium. It was uh, unreal to watch it unfold. It was, I think, uh, an unexpected development in the Pac-12 where Washington had struggled to stop teams but had moved the ball plenty. The Huskies looked good. Michael Penix Jr. looked great. Oregon's defense couldn't get a stop. Really struggled to get a stop. I was looking at the drive chart on Sunday morning. Washington went touchdown, field goal, punt, they got a punt in the third possession, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, interception after a 98-yard drive, touchdown, field goal, good for 37 points. Oregon's drive chart was very similar. I mean, aside from the fumble where Oregon's offense got a little cute in the red zone in the second possession of the game, uh, at, you know, Oregon, the only time Oregon turned the ball over uh, was at the end of the football game. Uh, when they went for it on fourth down and, uh, you know, one yard to go from their own 34-yard line. They were not stopped either. It was field goal, touchdown, field goal attempt, missed. Touchdown, 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 field goal for Oregon. So a whole bunch of scoring. Nick Aliotti was right, 71 points in the game. But uh, the question really now revolves around Dan Lanning, around Bo Nix, the quarterback at Oregon. How healthy will the Ducks be at full strength, at not full strength, what kind of finish will they have on this season? And here comes Utah this week. The Utes will come to Autzen Stadium on Saturday. It will be a late kickoff. It will be uh, Pac-12 after dark. And really what hangs in the balance is the future of Oregon's season. Rapid reaction. Steven, what would you think of Oregon losing to Washington? Yeah, you know, I picked Washington with the points. and Everyone kind of called me crazy, so uh, I'm going to give myself a little clap here. But, uh... 
No, I mean, it worked out kind of what I thought it would be. I thought Washington would be able to score the ball on Oregon and get touchdowns. They didn't even get touchdowns in the first half, but that third quarter especially, they yeah. just drove up and down the field on Oregon. Um, and then, unfortunately, you know, Bo Nix goes down with the injury. I think that was a questionable call on the fourth down. I didn't hate it because that's Oregon's identity to go for it on fourth down. But with Bo Nix out of the game, I thought it was questionable only because Ty Thompson was in there. He wasn't going to be a threat. So, you know, there's some questionable choices by Lanning, but I thought Washington was the better team on Saturday, and I thought that they ended up winning the game and they made the plays when they had to. I want to unpack the Lanning decision, and I want calls on this too. Did Dan Lanning get it right? On fourth down and one from his own 34-yard line, the the game tied 34-34, just uh, over a minute and 20 seconds left in the game. Dan Lanning decided to go for it. He has Ty Thompson at quarterback. Bo Nix is out of the game. I, I agree that this is Oregon's identity. I disagree that he got it right. I think he got this, this one wrong. And I think this was a growing pain moment for the Oregon coaching staff. I didn't like that Ty Thompson was in the game. I didn't like that the ball was on their own 34. Uh, Oregon had just come up two possessions earlier with their first stop of the game, really, other than the punt in the first half. So I felt like they had at least defensively uh, you know, at least gave a little hiccup to, to Washington, intercepting Michael Penix near the goal line. Um, and, and I also felt like if Oregon, even if Oregon got the first down with Ty Thompson at quarterback, I had some question on whether or not they were going to be able to drive down and get in field goal range. So I was a little surprised on fourth and one from his own 34 that he decided to go for it. Of course, the running back slips and falls down, but I've watched the film of it three or four times. I don't know if he was going to get it anyway. Uh, Noah, Noah Whittington, had there was some penetration there. Oregon's offensive line wasn't at full strength. It was just messy, and I would feel better about it if Dan Lanning had called timeout. If Dan Lanning had said, hey, timeout here. This is a good place for us to use one. This is new for us. We haven't been in this situation. Uh, let's call timeout. Let's kind of see where things stand, and then uh, we'll make another run of it or we'll reevaluate it. Is it like a, uh, you know, a fireable offense? No. It's not. I mean, I think Dan Lanning's doing a really good job. He's a candidate for coach of the year. Uh, do I understand his rationale? Yes, I do. But the, given that Bo Nix came back into the game about five minutes later in real time, I would have liked a timeout there because maybe Bo Nix says to his coach, Coach, I can go. Maybe they give it some more thought, and Kenny Dillingham goes, Look, nobody's expecting Ty Thompson to keep the ball. What we're going to do here is we're going to do the unthinkable. We are going to uh, we are going to keep we're going to have uh, we're going to have Thompson keep. Uh, if you're Oregon, I think that you really have to think in that moment like an experienced veteran coaching staff. And I didn't see that from Dan Lanning. In fact, I thought Kalen DeBoer in Saturday's game out coached Lanning. What did you think of the first half when the Oregon Ducks went for it on fourth down in their own territory? It, different for me when you've got Bo Nix there, different in the first half. Uh, even the onside <laughs> yeah. kick. Yeah. People people are saying, it, you know, the onside kick was worse. Uh, yeah, I guess, but Dan Lanning saw something he liked on the onside kick. But we find out today in Washington's news conference that Kalen DeBoer noticed on the sideline that Oregon had changed personnel prior to the onside kick. And so all of a sudden the Washington sideline was yelling onside kick, onside kick. And so I think there was some, you know, there's some back and forth. Look, I'll live with, I don't mind going for it. I don't mind having some guts. It's just a game. Like, you know, as I wrote over the weekend, I wrote it on Saturday morning. You lose these games, no one's going to eat you. 
Like, no, you know, Pat Hill said that once upon a time, the Fresno State football coach. I said, why do you play all these games? You play Wisconsin. You play Ohio State. You play anywhere, anyone, anytime. And he says, Johnny, what are they going to do? Eat you? Like, you know, they're not going to, you're not monsters. So I don't mind him having a little bit of guts. I don't mind him ha- being aggressive. But in the end, as we're unpacking it, I was watching that, and they essentially gave Washington field goal position and an easy three points. I want to kick it around. Did Dan Lanning misfire there? I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Was he outcoached in this game? Uh, we'll hear from Judah as well here, but let's jump out to uh, David and Astoria first. David, go ahead. Yeah, I have to agree with you totally. The uh, Both of those calls were uh, – they just felt like – uh, Bush League, both of them. Um, first, first, first time I've seen Dan Lanning look like he was uh, a first-year coach, and and there had to be two of them in this game. Yeah, look, I, I'll go further. I don't think it was Bush League because I don't think that we have. Maybe we don't have the same definition for it, but I felt like he was a little desperate, and. Maybe, you know, he said it after the game. He, I loved what he said after the game. I texted with Lanning after the game. I said, look, I love what you said. Even though I think you were wrong, I love what you said after the game. I, like He's galvanizing his locker room. He's telling his guys, I love you guys. We're in this together. This is on me. You know, he said all the right things as a coach. I loved what he said. I just felt like there were a couple of moments where Oregon didn't act like they were the favorite in this game. Onside kicking, sort of waving the white flag, saying, hey, we can't stop them on defense, so we're just going to onside kick or we're going to go for it on fourth and one from our own from our own 34-yard line. And I have to think, Kalen DeBoer, when Oregon decided to go for it, with Ty Thompson at quarterback, like everybody in the stadium knew this was a handoff. Like I just think it, was, it wasn't well thought out, wasn't well orchestrated. Let's go to the phones. Mark's in Portland. Go ahead, Mark. Well, obviously, I have a different perspective. I, he, this Dan Lanning knows his team a lot better than anybody else, and he had lost complete confidence in his defense. He he was going to win the game with his offense or lose the game with his offense, and you could just tell by his mindset. He was trying to get with the onside kick. He was trying to get extra possession. I'm not right. saying he made the right choice. At some right. point, you got to play football legitimately. But I go back to when the Steelers, when when Chuck Knoll refused to punt the ball in the Super Bowl against Dallas and gave the ball to Dallas with Roger Staubach because he was afraid of his punt team getting the ball blocked. And yes. similar to, to Lanning's with Oregon's defense, they they couldn't stop him, John. It was a hot quarterback. It reminded me of Matt Barkley in 2011 when the Ducks, after they lost LSU, they won 10 games straight, and then they lost at home to a hot USC quarterback, 38-35. The game just reminded me of that. You were not yeah. going to stop we're not going to stop them, and that's what Dan Lanning felt. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I, I think it's uh, the logic holds up. I would agree with that, except two possessions earlier you intercepted Michael Penix at the goal line. Noah Sewell tips the ball, and uh, Bassett gets the uh, – Jeffrey Bassett gets the interception. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the most confidence-building drive. I mean, Washington had gone 11 plays, 98 yards to that point before the interception – but I felt like, hey, at least you had a little momentum. What Oregon needed was a timeout. Like, Oregon just needed a time. Like, even if they had taken a timeout and just said, hey, let's think about this, I would feel better about it because I know there was some thought put into it. Roy's in Portland. Roy, go ahead. Hey, John. I, I, you know, 
I think Kevin DeBorg is a heck of a coach, man. I said that when he got hired. I saw his Fresno State teams. Uh, Penix Jr., man, people sleeping on this guy, man. He's got a cannon for an arm, man. That guy made some throws that I don't even – he he made some throws at the top quarterbacks that's, you know, in today's today's, uh, NCAA – you know, college football today, I don't see them making those throws. That throw he made to the sideline, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, this guy's got a can. You, you, you just you just wasn't going to beat Washington, man. I mean, had they not intercepted the ball on the goal line, had he not thrown it, the game was going to be over with anyway. Yeah. Had they, had they scored on that drive and not got that interception on the goal, I thought the game was over with it. It was going to be over with then. But, I mean, yes, Dan Lanning got out coach, man. I mean – I'm not really, you know, I don't know, man. Y'all like Dan Lanning. I'm not really a big fan of Dan Lanning because I, I don't, you know, it's just that's just me. But I think Kalen DeBorg definitely outcoached Oregon. Hold on. He was your D coordinator, Roy. That was your guy last year. John, I keep saying he wasn't coordinating anything with Will, with Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart. He wasn't doing anything. I, I know people want to give him props. He wasn't – I mean, Kirby Smart was doing – that's Kirby Smart's defense. He wasn't doing it. He, he was there in title only. Is, yeah, is anyone beating Georgia this year? Is any is Georgia going to lose a game, or is, is this uh, this Georgia's year again? Uh, I mean, I don't want to jinx this, I, I, you know, because anything could happen. And I've seen some weird stuff happen in the SEC championship game. Yeah. So I'm not going to say that until we get out of – Playing, I think we play LSU in the in the SEC championship game. Once we get past that, then I think we could uh, we could run the table, you know. But uh, you know, I I I, but I'm really impressed, man, with uh, Kalen DeBoer, man. Oh yeah, I I mean, I think Washington's back, and I think the Pac-12 conference needs Washington back. I think that what happened on Saturday is not all bad. Uh, It really depends on what happens with Oregon and Bo Nix from here on out. I'm hoping that Bo Nix. Uh, will be available, and as soon as uh, we get some information on that, we'll get it to you. Uh, go ahead, Steve. Oh, and John, to your point about the timeout not being called in the fourth quarter in the first half, they did call a timeout before they did that QB sneak with Bo Nix. Yeah. So they did. They did in the first half, didn't do it in the second half. I just don't know it's, why if yeah. Nix was on the sideline. When I saw Nix come back later, I, it made it worse for me because I went, "Wait a minute! If could he have gone on that play? Because if so, I want him on the field." Yeah, I was at home watching, and then you know, with Ty Thompson, the next said, "There's no way they're going to go for it because they can't. There's, he's not a threat to throw the ball at all, so they know he's just going to hand it off." And it just—that's the way it turned out. I just thought that was the one questionable choice, but it was only because Ty Thompson's in there. If Bo Nix is in there, like you said, they call timeout, they get Nix back in. I'm not even questioning the decision. No, I, I, I could live with it. Judah, what did you think? Did Dan Lanning get it wrong? He did get it wrong. Yeah, it gave me Mario Cristobal vibes for the first time this year, and uh, I didn't really expect that because the UCLA game, I thought, showed me that Dan Lanning, you know, is a is a game management czar. And this one, I, you know, maybe I'm just being too results oriented, but I'm with you. You got to call timeout there. Too much going on to co- to not call timeout with Ty Thompson out there and. Frankly, like, that's just too much blind certainty in your offensive line. And they've been playing well, but they did, they went for it on third and short and didn't quite get it. You know, and you're just too predictable. If you do go for it, I think you got to get really bold 
and let Ty Thompson make a play and live with yeah. the results because it's too predictable to try the Whittington, you know, play. And you're right. Even if he done, didn't slip, he was not getting that first down. Way too men, too much penetration. Yeah, I didn't like it for a number of reasons. And it felt like Oregon has felt like they're ever since the Georgia game, I felt like Oregon's been in control of this season. Like they're yeah, different big moments. They're just in control. And, it, and there's a piece about what they're doing in a business like you know, sort of workmanlike thing. And in that moment, it felt desperate to me and rushed. And I didn't like the feel of it. And I was waiting for the timeout. And I thought, well, maybe they're bluffing here. They're trying to draw Washington off. And when they snap the ball and Whittington slips, I just go, no, no, no. And you've just given Washington at least a field goal. And then here comes Bo Nix on the ensuing possession. Like, you know, and I'm going, what, wait a minute. What are they doing here? And look, they're going to be – like, I don't expect – here's another thing. I thought about this this morning. I don't expect coaches to be perfect. I don't. Like, a lot of people, there's a lot of outrage over, you know, the decisions that are made in the NFL or college football on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis. Jonathan Smith goes for it on fourth down and one, doesn't get it. Everybody, outrage. I'm not there. I don't expect these guys to be perfect. But what I want to see from them is when they make mistakes or when they don't – when they're not successful in a moment – I want to be able to clearly see their logic. And I think Lanning's logic was, hey, this is our identity. We've done this ten times. And, oh, by the way, um, you know, we I didn't have any faith in our defense. That's fine. But why was Bo Nix coming back into the game on the ensuing offensive possession? And could he, in that moment, have been available if you called a timeout? I want that answer. I wish we had it. We may not get it till this week. I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575 is the number. Weigh in on this. Did Lanning get it right? Plus, we're going to talk about Oregon State because suddenly a 9 or 10 win season seems like it's within grasp of Oregon State. Are they healthy enough? We'll talk about that coming up. Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We'll get the latest on the injuries out of Eugene. Uh, I think Oregon's going to keep this close to its vest. They've got Utah on Saturday at Autzen Stadium. Kyle Whittingham and Utah coming to town, and Utah is very dangerous. A lot breaking the Utes' way. Uh, I'm working on Whittingham for this week on this show. Also uh, coming up uh, this week, we'll we'll go to Salt Lake City and we'll get Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune on to talk about what where, where Utah is health wise and whatnot. We'll also talk about Oregon State. Beavers have uh, a nine-win regular season within reach. They are sitting at seven and three. I got to give some credit to Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. If you go back just a couple of years, they were non-competitive in games. They were getting blown off the field. You know, in this whole narrative, you know, Oregon State does more with less. Yeah, I get it. You can buy into it. I'm guilty of it as well because I look at the depth at Oregon State and I go, gosh, you know, I look at the quarterback play and I say, wow, you know. But Oregon State got it done again on Saturday. They beat Cal at home badly, 38-10, to in a game that was not close at any point. Oregon State looked good doing it. Uh, there's some questions with some injuries. Uh, Jack Coletto, the linebacker slash quarterback slash running back, looked like he had a hamstring issue late in the game. A very cold night on Saturday night. If you were outdoors, both at Autzen Stadium and Racer Stadium, kind of wondered about the injuries and how the weather may have played a role in that. 
Uh, I also know Jaden Grant, uh, who comes on our show every Thursday, left the game late. Uh, there's some question about, you know, will Oregon straight State be at full strength uh, coming up this Saturday as they travel to Arizona State in a in a winnable game, really. Arizona State is a game that Oregon State can win. That's that's a road game Oregon State should win and probably will win. But I have some questions about whether or not they are going to be healthy. Uh, then we have the game formerly known as the Civil War coming up on the horizon. And I feel like that game is really up in the air right now. If you're an Oregon fan, uh, you need Bo Nix in that game or Oregon State's going to beat you for sure at Reeser Stadium. Like, you know, that is a game, and I think Oregon State might get it if Oregon is not healthy uh, coming into Reeser Stadium. They're just the, the Beavers are just different inside that stadium. They are very difficult to score on. And if Oregon does not have Bo Nix at quarterback, look out. Oregon State could be at 9-3 and three and facing a pretty good bowl game uh, heading into uh, their postseason. I want to talk a little bit about more about Dan Landing in Oregon. Did he get it right? Did he make the right call? Can Oregon beat Utah if it doesn't have Bo Nix? What did you make of the rivalry with Washington and Oregon? It appears to be back in a lot of different ways, and I think that's good for the conference. Uh, we have rivalry games coming up this week. USC will travel to UCLA, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson has provided the bulletin board material. I don't know if uh, this is good or bad. What do you guys make of this? Dorian Thompson-Robinson told reporters today that UCLA wants to break 60 points against USC and be even better than it was last season at the Coliseum. Uh, UCLA coming off a loss to Arizona, talking some trash against USC. Good idea or bad idea, guys? Uh, I'd say bad idea just based on losing to Arizona on Saturday. Like, if you win that game, sure, like, I can I can take it and I can say, all right, they're just very confident they want to get this win against USC. But coming off a loss to Arizona where I believe they scored 28 points, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a bad look. He's just uh, stay quiet on that one. But he he might be right. But at the same time, how many points is the UCLA defense going to give up? Like, that's the other question. So that I, game I, has, I, I wouldn't have done yeah. it. So it's a little questionable to me. The game has 60 to 59 written all over it. Uh, good idea or bad idea? Some trash talk. At least, the, you know, I don't want to knock players for for saying what they think because we always say, oh, they always sanitize it. Oh, they, you know, they won't tell us. They're filtering. Uh, you know, they're worried. I, I don't mind a little rivalry talk. Gary's in Tualatin. Gary, what's on your mind? Hey, John, go Ducks. I was at the game, and uh, the emotion of the whole thing at the end, I mean, uh, if it could go wrong, it did go wrong. But the the real error that happened, and I think it was Dellinger that uh, made the mistake, uh, and it's a rookie mistake. I mean, we had the game won. We were shoving it down their throat on that big, long drive where we were getting six yards a, a, yep. a carry. Yep. And we had, uh, we had a third and six. Uh, and then they go to this five wide, and you're going, why are you doing that? And then you run your quarterback. Yeah. Uh, why didn't you stick with what you're doing or go with a jumbo package because, you know, Forsythe was hurt, get under center, and shove it down their throat. If you get four or five yards, you go for fourth. If you get two yards, you go for the field goal. But instead, they do that stupid – and then they call timeout, and everybody around me is going, why are we doing this, this spread offense – when the other thing they can't stop, and and the, and we thought it was a fake, and they went ahead with it, and we go, oh, that is the worst call. And the thing I hate the worst, and I don't care if it was right or wrong, throwing the flag on with no time left on the clock, 
stick the the flag in your pocket unless it's obvious. And they took us from a 20-yard to a 40-yard and end the game. I I just hate it when officials do that. Yeah, I don't care which side it's on. I hate the flag. You don't want to see a flag late in the game. Yeah, I I think Oregon put itself in that position. I don't think, you know, I think when I look back at the end of that game, Oregon looked panicked. Uh, During the commercial break, Stephen asked me, do you think that the fact that Oregon hadn't been in a bunch of close games played a role? I do. I think Kalen DeBoer has been in a lot more games than Dan Lanning and a lot more close games than Dan Lanning, who was coaching just his 10th game of his first season. Mike is in Wilsonville. Mike, what's on your mind? Hey, John, man, I'm going to try to educate you guys here real quick. Okay, educate. First of all, Muhammad Ali, man, said that champions aren't made in gyms. Champions aren't made by coaches or somebody on the sideline. He said champions are, are made from something within. And so you guys don't understand what a champion is. The quarterback at Washington was a champion. And he shows you guys that all the statistics, all the data, all the stuff that you guys hold near and dear ain't worth two dead flies. So I'm just trying to let you guys understand. You guys don't understand what a champion is all about. None of these people. Yeah, but but the same, same quarterback went and lost at Arizona State. Arizona State is terrible. So it's like, when was he a champion then? He was a champion the other night. And one last thing, John, they need to quit saying it never rains in Austin Stadium because it was raining the <laughs> other night. Okay, I agree with you on that one. He also, lost it, he also lost at UCLA on a Friday night. Didn't play that well in that game. But Michael Penix Jr., look, you take Michael Penix Jr. and put him on Oregon State. What's Oregon State's record, guys? I mean, they have just one. It's, it's questionable if they beat Utah, but I mean, that game against Utah was so weird. I mean, they could be undefeated, like legitimately. Like that is how they might good be. He is. They might be in the playoff. Like it's yeah. it's he's good. Like and it gives you an idea. Like I'm not totally comfortable with the transfer portal. I don't love it. Like I like it, but I don't love it. I like that some kids maybe if their coach leaves, they have the ability to get in the portal and leave. But I don't, I'm not totally comfortable with the NIL and transfer portal combination that creates this free agency. But on Saturday, and Friday and Saturday, we had 12 Pac-12 teams that played. Nine of them had transfer quarterbacks. And Michael Penix Jr., Caleb Williams, Jaden DeLora, played the best of anybody over the weekend. And I kind of wonder, like, can Oregon State participate in this era? Is this new collective at Oregon State going to open the door for players uh, and if so, do you lose some of the culture that really makes Oregon State special? Really what Jonathan Smith is shoveling coal with this season and last is he has built incredible culture. And there's just a certain kind of kid that will come play at Oregon State and wants to run through a wall for Jonathan Smith. Is that kid coming through the portal to get there as a quarterback with an NIL deal? I don't know. That's the question that needs to be answered. Rick's in Eugene. What's up, Rick? Hey. Uh, so, first of all, absolutely love Dan Lanning for Oregon. I think he's going to be here for a long time, and I think they really got it right with that hire. Now, something you said before you went to break, something about uh, was Bo Nix available to go back in. Yes, he was. I don't know if you've seen this, but on the TV, they the, the camera panned to Bo Nix right before that 
third down play where they, he got stuffed, and he tapped Dan Lanning on the shoulder, jumping up and down, let me in, let me in, let me in. Dan Lanning looked over at him, let the play go. Yeah, it was probably a mistake because Bo was ready to go, helmet on, wanting to go back in, and he shut him down, and he got stuffed at the line of scrimmage. Had he let, called the timeout and let Bo go back in, we might have been having a different conversation today. Yeah, and look, I don't know if he was medically cleared at that point or not, but I want a timeout if I'm Dan Lanning. And I think, look, you got to learn. Like I said, I don't expect the guy to be perfect. He's going to make mistakes. Kenny Dillingham's going to make mistakes. They're going to come out in the wrong formation. They're going to get too cute in the red zone. I, I, I think really the, the things that Dan Lanning and Kenny Dillingham are probably kicking themselves for are probably Dillingham for getting cute down in the red zone on the two-yard line shifting out of a formation, getting a bad snap. Uh, I got to think that played a role in, in that bad that fumbled snap and the turnover at the, at the goal line. And then the second thing is Lanning's probably kicking himself for the, for the onside kick attempt uh, that, that was unsuccessful. I, I think those are the two things that they're probably looking back at. And, you know, Dan Lanning probably in his heart is going, you know, maybe I should have taken a timeout there. But he's got to learn from that. And I think that's why... I'm not ready to kill the guy over being aggressive in that situation, but I think he got it wrong. I, and I think if he if he goes back and does that, you know, the next time, then we'll know he didn't learn from it. But I, I think if he takes a beat there, if he takes a timeout, if he turns to Bo Nixon, the doctor, the trainer on the sideline, goes, hey, can he get back in? And they say no. Then he can get on the headphone and he can talk to Kenny Dillingham. How are we feeling here? What's the right play call? You know, they know we're not going to uh, – you know, have Ty Thompson throwing the ball here. He's been cold. He's on the sideline. Probably not keeping it. They know we're handing it off. Should we just give them a long field and hope that our defense, that just came up with a turnover two possessions earlier, hope that the defense can stop Michael Penix Jr.? Like, the truth may be, maybe they arrive in the same position. Maybe they go, you know what, man, I'd rather lose with my offense on the field than my defense on the field. And if they do that, and if that conversation happens, maybe I feel better about it. Maybe you feel better about it. Maybe it doesn't matter. 503-417-7575. Weigh in on that. We'll talk more about the Pac-12 plus some trash talk that goes beyond the UCLA-USC rivalry. Nick Rolovich's lawsuit is out there. And Jaden Delora says it's a revenge game for Arizona's quarterback against Washington State. Vengeance is in the air this week. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. What happened to the Seahawks? They went over to Europe and lost their mojo. I'm talking to you, Judah Newby. What happened to your Seahawks? Did they play yesterday? Hmm. 6:30 in the morning. Oh, what happened? Like what? What happened there? And and by the way, do you get any? Like, there's some people out there that really do get some satisfaction out of, out of seeing Russell Wilson struggle. Uh, I I saw some of that on social media from Seahawks fans later in the day. I don't. You don't strike me as a guy who's petty like that. Like, you know, has he has he uh, suffered enough? Tell the truth. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. You are really. I I'm not like boisterous about it i don't mind it though just don't had mind enough it. for him yeah. I, and frankly maybe it was because of my own ignorance but i didn't realize the level of vitriol his teammates had for him and mm -hmm. um 
I think he is a little bit more phony than I was willing to believe when he was playing for my team. So, yeah. you know, that's just one of those blind fan things that I was probably guilty of. But now that mm-hmm. he's struggling away from Seattle, I'm probably seeing it a little more clearly. And I'm not I don't mind that he's struggling. And yeah. um, I think his teammates, uh, his current teammates and his former teammates are telling you what kind of teammate he really is. Yeah, I think you probably were like I and I appreciate you acknowledging that because I think there's a lot of people that remain in denial and they they act like he has changed. But um I think I don't I don't necessarily think he was a phony, but I'll let his teammates cuz I didn't deal with him in that way. I can't say that, but I think that um it sort of the celebration of him got obnoxious for outsiders. And it feels like the Seahawks fans have joined that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, and I think <laughs> it's easier when you're winning. You know, they're not winning. Oh, and yeah. they're scoring 10 points in Nashville and losing games. Like, it's it's gotten pretty bad. And the Walton family is paying them $240 million, And that doesn't start until, like, like two seasons from now. It's crazy. They're, it's, a, it's a weird situation they got. Yeah, there you have it. Uh, they're from Seahawks Central. What about uh, your 49er feeling? They just beat Herbie last night. They're yeah. chasing the Seahawks down here. Um, I think the 49ers are good enough to beat anybody. I think this season is really wide open. Um, I, uh, I'm i not going to lie. I looked at the odds for the Niners to win the Super Bowl a week ago. They were 14-1. to 1. I don't know what they are now, but... I felt like that was good odds because I think they have a chance to win the Super Bowl. I'll put them in a group of about eight teams that I think could win it. And uh, I think they're good enough if they're healthy. I just don't know if I trust Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, let's be real. Like, <laughs> they, they, they would have to win it. They'd have to win a playoff game or two where he doesn't play well. And that's hard in the NFL. Like, it's such a quarterback-centric game. When you get to that level, when you get down, like every year we get down to about four quarterbacks or eight quarterbacks left. Those teams are all pretty good in their own way. But what's evident is it's Josh Allen, it's Patrick Mahomes. In prior years, it's been Aaron Rodgers. It's, you know, it's generally teams that have a guy that can win you a game at the end of the game. And I, I don't know if Garoppolo's that guy. I have a stat about Jimmy Garoppolo. He is 10-2 and two and starts with zero touchdown passes. So he doesn't even throw a touchdown. <laughs> He's won 10 games out of 12. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, it has nothing to do with him. That's like most guys' yeah. interception stats. Yeah. When he doesn't throw a pick, we win. 10 and Jimmy, two. it's like, please don't throw a touchdown. Yeah. We're 10-2. and two. Yeah, but you got but you do have McCaffrey this year. You didn't have McCaffrey last year, and you won two playoff games Let's, last but, year. It, but it's not me. I don't like when you say you, they, Niners. I'm not. I'm not on the team. <laughs> Let's get out of that. You bought a 49er jacket at the mall, like within the last three years. I'm pretty no, sure. I didn't get it at the mall. You were at the mall mall trying to get a 49er swag. No, no, no. That was when they went to the Super Bowl. I wanted to buy the kids. The kids didn't have a T-shirt, and so it was the Super Bowl party. And I went looking for – they were playing – they were playing – who were they in the Super Bowl with? The Kansas City City Chiefs, yeah. Yeah, They were playing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and I was running around trying to find a kid-sized 49er shirt for the then four-year-old to wear and I finally tracked one down but I got some 49ers gear but it's not me I'm not on the team like do you guys blame fans that say that I always kind of look at fans sideways when they say we I I'm don't, like, I don't like, blame what them. position are you playing I don't blame them but I <laughs> I don't do that at all I think it is a little silly
It's because you don't have a team. I don't have a team, but I like, <laughs> very easy for that true. guy that's to true. say. But like, even when I work, I worked for the Blazers in their scouting department. I still would never say we. Like, I'm not on the team, mm. and I was technically part of the team. Yeah, you should have said we. You should have said we. I guess but I maybe you didn't want to say we back then. Those that era, <laughs> that's true yeah. too. You know, don't let's go to associate. Let's go to Bruce in Portland. Bruce, what's on your mind? Hey, John, how about this? We Duck fans here. Okay, I'll buy that. Um, we. Uh, I've had a tough one, obviously, Saturday night. I just wanted to say Penix is really good. That guy's the real – you know, that last drive, that tiny touchdown drive, that deep passing through, nobody else is making that throw. If you look at it again on replay, it's just like, holy smokes. Yeah. Um, Duck, that being said, I want to say our secondary got exposed. Our red zone issues have been our Achilles heel all season long, and they finally caught up with us in this game, you know, whether it's a penalty or, a you know, a muff snap or whatever. Um, how many mistakes we make down in the red zone. I uh, do want to say that that Gonzalez 50-50 ball that got wrestled away from him, that should have mm-hmm. been reviewed. If you look at that on TV, that his knee was down with possession. Um, our kicking game was atrocious, needless to say. You know, two out-of-bounds kicks, almost three, and then that everybody in the country knows we're going to do an onside kick at some point after the UCLA game. Um, that last drive before halftime that we had the ball – there didn't appear to be any urgency on our part, you know. It's like knowing we're going to get the ball back to start the second half, we should have been like, go, 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 you guys. We need points here. Uh, and then one other missed call on the, our last drive to attempt to tie it. That Bucky got hit late out of bounds. And yeah, that the out of bounds. I saw that. Too. That was crazy. I was right in front of my seat. And it's like, dude, you got to make that call. But, you know, that being said, credit to Washington. And, you know, they, they just played better than us. And we got to yeah. stop making mistakes like that. But we do control our own destiny. There is a Pac-12 title at stake. You know, we've got to get it done the next few weeks, so go Ducks. Yeah, you've got to beat Utah on Saturday at uh, Autzen Stadium. Can Oregon win if Bo Nix doesn't play in this game? I'll answer it. Yes, Oregon can win this game without Bo Nix. I think they can. I just think it it's a lot easier, obviously, if you have Bo Nix. But I do have some faith in a Kenny Dillingham uh, game plan with Ty Thompson, and I think Oregon can run the ball on Utah. But here's the question, and it comes back to Tosh Lupoy, the D coordinator at Oregon. Can Oregon stop Utah on Saturday? Because I have to think that Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator at Utah, put a bib on after he saw the film of Oregon and Washington. Cam Rising's not Michael Penix Jr., but Cam Rising's good, and he's a gamer. And Utah did about what I thought they would do on offense. They committed to running the football against Stanford last week, and Stanford could not stop them. They ran wild. I thought that game would be closer. It wasn't. Stanford couldn't stop them. But I think uh, if you are an Oregon fan, don't close the door right now. Keep some faith. Let's see what this coaching staff does with what's left of this season. There are a bunch of people after the game going, Oh, it's over. They're going to lose three in a row. Then they'll lose the bowl game. This is going to be terrible. And, and I'm not ready to go there. I, I Let's see what Dan Lanning does. That's part of coaching. He's got to MacGyver this thing. It's easy to coach when you're at full strength and you got all your pieces and everything's going well. You don't even have to call a timeout. Just calling plays and having fun. But now Oregon is at a point where we're going to find out what is Dan Lanning made of. Is this team going to splinter, or is it going to pull together? 
It, can they win without Bo Nix if they have to win without Bo Nix? We're going to get some answers to those questions, and I think those are important questions that Oregon faces on Saturday. I'm, I'm excited for this. And Oregon State is going to Arizona State. Oregon State's going to probably have to play at a less than healthy uh, rate as well. And everybody's kind of in that position. But if it's any consolation to Oregon fans or Oregon State fans, let's examine Kyle Whittingham in Utah. They're coming to Autzen Stadium. They will be without the tight end that was their starting NFL-caliber tight end that they started the season with. They've got injuries on the offensive line. They've got injuries in the defense. They're just getting back their best defensive back from injury. They've had to play as banged up as anyone. And what has Utah done? They put a Band-Aid here. They put a brace there. They figured out different ways to win games. That's coaching. It's easy. This stuff's easy when you're healthy and you're better than your opponent. Mario Cristobal proved that. But when you're not healthy and your opponent maybe has more momentum than you, and all you have is the home field and a pretty good offensive line and some running backs and some receivers, and, hey, what? that's enough. That's enough. Don't write this off yet. Leave it here. Our big splash coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, I've got a vote in the Baseball Writers Association of America Hall of Fame vote. I also have a Heisman Trophy vote. Uh, I see that the voting has been completed for the American League Rookie of the Year. It is the subject of our big splash. This just in. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, the American League Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year Award goes to Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners. He wins Rookie of the Year. Adley Rushman, Oregon State's catcher with the Baltimore Orioles now, finished second in voting. This is the fifth time that a Seattle player has been honored with the award. Do you know the other four? Can you guys name the other four? Uh, American League Rookie of the Years for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, E.G. Rowe would be one. Yes. Um, hmm. That's about all I can get you there. <laughs> Good Gr- job, Griffey. Well done. Well done Did there. Griffey win a... Um, no. Maybe like Joel Pinheiro. <laughs> how, how, did know, Griffey, how did Griffey not win Rookie of the Year? John Halamo. Uh, no. Uh, Suzuki. Yeah, he won. No, Sasaki. Sasaki. Oh, Kaz Sasaki. Sasaki. He's the closer. But do they count uh, because yeah. they were way older when they came over? <laughs> Each year, Owen, MVP and Kyle Ohio. Lewis. Oh, oh, yeah. That was last year, that was right? COVID year, yeah. Two, two, oh, years, two years, ago. years ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Alvin Davis in 1984. Hell yeah. And there you have it. Uh, is it, uh, it look, really, and by the way, Adley Rutschman apparently was at the Oregon State football game on uh, Saturday. So he was there hanging out. And. Uh, you guys, uh, what kind of year? I mean, really good year for him. I think he got hurt a little bit that, you know, he wasn't there from the beginning. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I mean, for he, sure. He might still be eligible next year. <laughs> <laughs> I think Stephen Kwan, Oregon State product, was third as well. He was yeah. awesome. But, uh, yeah, but Adley, uh, on base percentage-wise, he was unbelievable. Like, yeah. one of the best in the, not only as a rookie, but as, like, in the entire American League, he was up there. 
Yeah, uh, but Ken Griffey Jr. was third in the American League uh, Rookie of the Year. Uh, his his by the way, he was 19 years old when he made his debut. He only hit 264 in that yeah. first year, so he finished third. <laughs> Slow start. And uh, then came on later. <laughs> um, there you go. Uh, so Oregon State, uh, you know, ends up with uh, second and third in the American League Rookie of the Year. Not a bad, not a bad showing for the uh, for the uh, Oregon State program. But uh, Adley Rutschman's going to have a great career. Quan as well. Start. Quan started just red hot at the beginning of the year. Looked like he was going to hit 600. Uh, and then he settled down. He ends up third. So good showing for Oregon State winning by Mariners. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Pac 12 headquarters is uh, lending some insight into tie breaking possibilities. Guys, uh, that Oregon-Utah game becomes an elimination game if USC and Colorado both win. USC has to beat UCLA, which could happen. Colorado would have to beat Washington to make it an elimination game. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, the game's at Colorado. I was just kidding. <laughs> um, if Utah wins out, Utah goes to the championship game. What do you guys want to see? Forget forget that we're in the state of Oregon. Just tell me what game you want to see. What would be the best Pac-12 championship game? Is Bo Nix healthy? Let's do it with and without. Healthy Bo Nix, first of all. Who do you want to see play? Oregon, USC. Agree. That's the game I want. Yeah, that's the game because we haven't seen it yet. Right, we will see yep. Oregon, Utah. We saw USC, Utah, all the combination except for Oregon, USC. And I think you're right. If Bo Nix is healthy, that's the game we all want to see. We also haven't seen Washington play USC because USC hasn't played anybody. Is that a concern? If uh, you're watching this, like you know, USC hasn't played UCLA yet. They haven't played Oregon, and they haven't played Washington. The only team that they have played that's in that grouping of the top four is Utah, and they lost. So USC's best win to this point of the season is probably the game at Oregon State. If you, that, if that's you, their best win. If you want USC and the Pac-12 to be represented in the college football playoff, which I, I don't know that if you're a Pac-12 fan, you necessarily want USC to represent you, but they definitely have the best chance. Who would you want them to play the most in the Pac-12? Who gets the most credit? Uh, for a USC win in that game. Okay, so you're saying who would you? I want to see USC play in the regular season? Yeah, like you know, let's say we want USC to get to the college football playoff, but we want yeah. them to get as much credit as possible. Oh, I see. So they have this. A healthy to, Oregon. Healthy Oregon with so Bo Nix. Because that would be their best win. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, then they would have – because presumably if they get there, they beat UCLA this week. So that's a good win. That's a, a win over a top 15 team in the college football playoff rankings. And then they would have a second win over Oregon. Um, the only thing that's unfinished to them could possibly be beating Utah in a rematch in the championship game because then it would erase the one-point loss at Utah, and it would give them wins over Utah and UCLA. And, but I only think that 
happens if Bo Nix is not healthy. Because if Bo Nix isn't healthy, you know, Utah's probably going to get there. They're probably going to find a path to, you know, to beat Oregon and get there, right? I mean, you know, even though, as I say, don't write it off, here I am writing it off, but I just think, I think that Utah is probably the next best team if Oregon doesn't have Bo Nix. Team. Uh, Steven, Judah, let's say Nix isn't healthy. What's the matchup you want to see? Uh, I would want to see the rematch. I'd want to see USC yeah. Utah. And I, I just think it's because if Bo Nix isn't healthy, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a buyer of UCLA. After what I saw against Arizona, how they got uh, you know destroyed against Oregon, I just, I'm not a super big believer in UCLA. I do think Utah is getting healthy and getting right uh, at the right moment. Is uh, where's UW in this? Are they done, or are they they're still fighting for this? Aren't they? They're still in it. They're they're not out of it. And and look, if you're a Utah fan, you're screaming at your radio right now. I don't. I, I mean, a Washington fan, I don't blame you. But Washington's going to need some help to get there. Well, I would like to see Penix versus Williams. Okay, in so Vegas, then, like to me, like if Nix is not healthy, it, just from a matchup wise, I want the stars out, man. And Utah gives me no sex appeal. Give me Penix, give me Williams, give me Liberty. Give me so Death. you want give me you want Vegas. USC to win out, so they are twelve and one, or excuse me, eleven and one in the title game against a Washington team that would get there because uh, Washington Washington has a head-to-head win against Oregon, but they're a game behind, so they need Oregon to probably uh, beat Utah this week lose and the then lose to Oregon State Which next week, possible. end up in a tie with Washington for the second position. Because that would give UCLA another loss, and therefore yeah. the tiebreaker wouldn't matter there. So, yep. yeah, UW's got a path still. And if you want, you're just asking me what matchup do you want if Nix is banged up. <laughs> I want to see that Penix kid again, man. He is he is awesome. Do you guys think USC is one of the two best teams in the conference? Mm. I've had doubts. I've had doubts all season about USC. And, in fact, if, if Arizona hadn't beat UCLA on Saturday, I was – no-brainer picking UCLA. Now I have a big question, a big problem, because I don't trust UCLA all of a sudden. I think by default I have to put them in the top two, but I don't feel good about it because I I think everyone, everyone's healthy. No, actually, I'm wrong. I'm taking it back. They're number three. Okay. If everyone's healthy, it's the Ducks in Utah and then USC. Not to mention Travis Dye's injury. That, too. Yeah. They haven't played too. without him yet, so that sucks. Um, yeah, it, it, by the way, it was cold at both the Oregon and Oregon State games. The temperatures were in the 30s at both games. Are we soft in the state of Oregon, or is it was it really cold Saturday night? Was it cold last night? I thought it was really cold last night. I went out to the trash cans, and I was like, damn, I'm not built for this. But the I think the Utahns, is that what we call them? Croutons? Utahns? I don't know. Uh, the Utahns are probably laughing at us, because I'm telling the Utah people, hey, you better bring a blanket. You better... You better bring a jacket. Um, you know, uh, it was uh, it was uh, it was uh, chilly. Uh, you know, and I know it was chilly at both stadiums. I think it depends on the quality of football you're watching. Because I remember Stanford fans were laid out with blankets for that Beavers game. You know, a few weeks ago, that eight yeah. o'clock kick. And I was like, oh man, it must be cold on the farm. It was like fifty degrees. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like there's like nobody in there, so they're all like bundled together. Meanwhile. No, I don't think there were any blankets at Autzen or Reezer. Those places were rocking because that was some good football, at yeah. least for three of those four teams. So it, it, to, to your garbage point, when I go out and take out the garbage and it's cold out there, 
Maybe I wasn't prepared. I just whisper under my breath, it's football weather. Do you really? Yeah, and that that gets me back uh, comfortable because then it's like, oh, it's football season. I can do this. I can take out the garbage. I'm not a cold. I'd rather be in 105 degrees than 32 degrees. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm much more acclimated to be in the heat. It's just me. Aren't you in the minority in that? Aren't most people like cold people? Like, I'm cold. I would rather be. I think it's where you grew up. I'm a warm person, and I grew up in Oregon. Okay. So you're with me. Yeah. I don't, I don't like this stuff. I don't like the, you know, I, I'd rather have it like Arizona hot in the summer than than freezing cold. Just me. Just my thing. And and look, I, we don't need to do a whole segment about this because I think it's, it's you know, there I, and I've done a study on this, okay? I have, I have uh, you know, uh, not done a study, but I've written about a study about this. The, you know, the United States Army did a study where they tried to determine if you could acclimate people to cold weather, could you train soldiers who were going to be like in cold weather combat situations? Could you train them to perform better by having them train in cold weather? And what they found out was, no, you can't. Like, it, but there certain people just did better in cold weather, and certain people just did better in hot weather, and it wasn't the same people. So it had to do more with sort of your tolerance for cold and your tolerance for heat. And there were just certain people that seemed to perform better under those conditions, the Brett Favre theory or whatever. So you have, you know, cold weather people. You can't, it's not like Judah, like, you know, it's not like Stephen and I could be out training in the cold weather, pretending that we're out at a football game, go out in 28 degrees, blanket, beanie cap, you know, drink a beer and have a hot dog and then, you know, two months of doing that, we would be much better in the stadium? No. The people that were good in those conditions, that could perform and concentrate in those conditions, they, they didn't get better. They just were. And the same goes for heat. You can get in better shape. You can run faster. You can train yourself physically to have more endurance or strength. But you can't train someone to have a greater tolerance for cold or heat. They just sort of are. And I know this because I went and sat in a freezer one time when the 49ers were playing the Packers, and it was minus 5 degrees in Green Bay. I sat in a freezer and kind of wrote a fun column about it, but then I started doing some research about it, and I found this U.S. Army study. And I was like, hell, why didn't I think of this? Of course the Army would have studied this because they would, they would want to know, like, hey, can we train people in, uh, you know, in, in Alaska and then send them over to cold-weather places, and, oh, they're going to be better for it no it turns out doesn't matter doesn't matter where they trained them they just people some people did better in cold weather some people did not i believe so. i believe that because you know i've mentioned before i worked at costco and i stocked in the morning and i they put me over in the freezer refrigeration area for a yeah. while and uh yeah i never got used to it nope. and i had to do it for a long time i was locked in this freezer it was minus five degrees in the freezer okay it's cold that's that's next level cold and uh there was this one, it was at a meat uh, packing plant. There was this one guy, his name was Richard Suhiro. I'll never forget his name. He's a butcher. I know his name. Why? Because the dude was a freak. He would come into that negative five degree freezer wearing short sleeves and jeans. And he'd work in there. And I was sitting in there bundled up freezing. And I'm going, how is this guy in short sleeves? And everyone else who came into the freezer came in in like full gear, Earmuffs, beanie caps, gloves, 
this dude is just walking around in short sleeves. And I was like, how, how is this possible? And I talked to him and people were like, that guy's a freak. Like he, he just doesn't, he has a tolerance for it. And some people just have a tolerance. It's not about toughness. Don't give me that. It's just a tolerance for cold. And then there was conversely people who had a tolerance for being in the heat. They were okay. It could be 105 and they're fine. But other people, you put them out at 105, what happens? You've seen them. They leave the air-conditioned mall. They run to their air-conditioned car, and they're practically melting on the pavement. It's just uh, it's weird that way. So what I'm saying is bring a blanket to the game or watch it from home. That's what I'm saying. Punch and audio is coming up. Best sound from all around. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Some big news uh, coming out of Oregon today. I guess it's not big news, but it's news nonetheless. Uh, Valerie Cleary, the uh, former athletic director at Portland State, uh, she got married. Her name is now Valerie Johnson. She has been hired as a deputy athletic director at Portland State. Valerie Johnson uh, taking the role that Lisa Peterson had as the senior woman administrator in the athletic department. It's a big job. Uh, she's leaving uh, the Multnomah Athletic Club to take it. I know a lot of people are confused when she left Portland State's AD job to go to MAC, but uh, Valerie Cleary back in the game at the University of Oregon. Good hire for Oregon. Good move for Valerie Johnson, who is uh, now an administrator there at Oregon. So keep an eye on that. Lisa Peterson left Oregon and is now with the Pac-12 Conference. Good hire by the Pac-12 as well. Anna's popped into the studio. Um, Anna is uh, here with us. Anna, I want to talk about something real quick. Um, Besides Val? I want to talk about something really quick here as you go on. I'm not picking up your mic, so we'll have to do that another time. Um, let's, let's transition to Punch It Audio, guys. The best sound from all around. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, uh, you know, said, look... It was a full team effort against the Cal Bears on Saturday. Here's Jonathan Smith. Punch it. You know, offensively, really proud of the second half effort uh, in regards to we've had four possessions. Three of them we get scores, and the fourth one we're taking a knee in the second half to separate the game. Uh, and, and it did. It complemented a defensive performance that was really, really good. Um, those guys flying around, making it difficult, wanted to take away the run game, did that, um, contested in the secondary. Overall, defensively, big-time performance. Going into the game, we thought we could do some things on special teams. Anthony Gould with a huge return. And, again, he, he credited his teammates, and they did. They did a great job blocking for him, separated things. Um, it was, that was a big play. And so we got a lot done, even our punter. He only punts twice. Luke Losher gets one down to the four-yard line, and the other one totally changes field position with a perfectly placed punt on the sideline. So there was just a lot to like. and. And that's a good foot, you know, Cal, say what you want. These guys went down and played toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Trojans until the last two minutes. Trojans had to get a first down to, to end the thing. And so for us to play a complete game like that, was really pleased with it. Almost any win in the Pac-12 Conference is a good win. 
But Cal and Colorado really have struggled. Stanford, too, this season. But still, I think uh, getting a W and getting to seven wins for Jonathan Smith, it is a big-time thing. But it's the way they did it that I liked most of all. They held Cal to nine rushing yards. They held Cal to three offensive points in a 38-10 victory. Did Oregon State suffer some injuries that maybe they can't overcome? We'll keep an eye on that. Jack Coletto left the game with what looked like a hamstring injury. Jaden Grant, defensive back team captain, left with an injury. We'll get updates on those two guys. But Oregon State heads to Arizona State this weekend. Big game. Oregon State trying to get their eighth win of the season. Meanwhile, Oregon dropped one to Washington. It was Peyton Henry with the game-winning field goal. Punch it. Peyton Henry is looking for his second straight game winner for the Washington Huskies. This is good. There it is. Uh, Washington goes on and upsets Oregon as a double-digit underdog. Entering the weekend, home favorites were 37-1 and in 38 games in the Pac-12. Both Washington and Arizona won as road underdogs. The trend, not your friend over the weekend. Washington's hanging around in the conference championship hunt, hoping for some chaos in front of them. It'll be Washington, uh, you know, playing Washington State in the Apple Cup coming up in two weeks. But if you are a Washington football fan, Washington hosts Colorado. They don't go to Colorado. They host Colorado this weekend, 6 o'clock kickoff in Seattle. Arizona beat UCLA. I mentioned it. It was Dorian Thompson-Robinson with the ball in his hands at the end of the game. Punch it. Thompson-Robinson escapes. DTR looking for the win. Oh, it was a diving attempt, but Bobo couldn't bring it in. And that will do it. Arizona with a shocking upset here in Pasadena. Arizona upset. UCLA. I got to give Jed Fish some credit. Signature win in his tenure, probably. Beating a team ranked in the college football playoff rankings, a team that was sniffing around the playoff, and uh, doing it amid like a gauntlet. They played Oregon, Washington, USC, Utah, and UCLA in succession. Five-game gauntlet for Arizona. They're home this week against Washington State. Jaden Delora, former Washington State quarterback, now at Arizona, called it a revenge game. Nick Rolovich, the former coach at Washington State, he tweeted out, any tickets remaining? Asking for a friend. Keep an eye on this one. A lot of emotion there. And Arizona, four and six. If they get these next two wins, bowl eligibility. Playing for a lot, coming off an emotional win, getting, uh, you know, a Washington State team that's looked vulnerable. This is going to be a really good game. And the game's in Tucson. Derek Carr, Raiders quarterback, speaking of emotion, very emotional after a loss to the Colts. Here's Carr, punch it. I love, I love Josh. I love the Carr. I love our coaches. Um, they've had nothing but success, you know. Way more success than I've ever had, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry. 
Derek, um, you know, sorry. to finish that, sorry for being emotional. I'm just pissed off about some of the things, you know, that a lot of us try and do just to practice what we put our bodies through just to sleep at night. And for that to be the result of all that effort pisses me off. Pisses a lot of guys off. It's hard knowing what <clears throat> some guys are doing. Like I said, just to practice what they're putting in their body just to sleep at night. Like just so we could be there for each other. And I wish everybody in that room felt the same way about this place. And as a leader, that pisses me off, if I'm being honest. Raiders are two and seven this season, six of their seven losses by one score. Derek Carr emotional, obviously, uh, in the loss, searching for some answers in Vegas. Did he help himself, guys, with that, or does uh, you know does it depend what happens next? Ah, uh, yeah, I think it ha depends on what happens next. I don't think he helped himself, but I don't think he necessarily hurt himself. The team already seems like they're lost. Uh, just this season. The season looks like it's lost, gone, and they're not going to win it back. So I don't think he lost anybody in the locker room, but I think it just depends on what happens because he may or may not be the quarterback going next season. So I think he's going to have to explain himself if he's back next year, but that may not be uh, may not be the case. They lose to the Colts, who are playing with an interim coach, Jeff Saturday. I think that compounds the embarrassment. Minnesota and Buffalo, a fantastic call here from the Vikings radio. Josh Allen fumbles in the end zone. Minnesota recovers for a touchdown. And the 20, 30 to 27 lead. They end up winning the game in overtime, but here's the call, Blinch it. Josh Allen puts Gabe Davis in motion, and Davis is behind Allen, and he tried to push him. He didn't get out of there! He didn't get out! He did not get out! That's the safety! Give it to us! Give us the safety! Look at what's taking so long. Oh, no! Came out! Yes, the are Vikings! Are you kidding me? The Vikings are gonna win! Are you kidding me? Yes, drop that ball, Josh Allen! That ball came loose! Holy cow! Josh they Allen tried to sneak touchdown. through the middle. They signal touchdown. The ruling on the field is that the quarterback muffed the snap. Minnesota dived on the ball in the end zone yes! for a touchdown. Yes! Yes! Are you kidding me? When it's your year, it's your Not year. How about your Vikings, Vikings fans? How about that? How about that? Come to Buffalo and beat this team. Are you kidding me with what just happened? <laughs> Saturday Night Live needs to do it. The Bears skit with those guys. Emotional win. Why does that mean so much for Minnesota? Well, I think it has to do with the fact that the Vikings, who have had a tough go of things in recent years, like they've had some moments where they rose up and they got pushed back down, losing some playoff games, some of them in uh, dramatic fashion. But, uh, you know, this was a validating moment for the Minnesota football team. Guys, are the Vikings for real? Uh, yes, because I think the <laughs> NFC, I think the NFC uh, is wide open. Uh. I think NFC is wide open, John. Like, you talked about the Niners having a good chance. They have a good chance in Philadelphia. I don't necessarily buy them either. So I think Philadelphia or Minnesota has a chance uh, to do it. What was? I thought it was funny that they, you know, they said they're going to get a win in Buffalo. They didn't know it was going to go to overtime to get the win. It would have been funny had they lost after all the comments. Yeah. They end up winning 33-30 in overtime, but that was for the 30-27 to lead in the game. I think it was a kind of a validating moment because 
you know, they played really two, they played three teams this year that are considered good. They lost to the Eagles in week two. They lost at Miami, or excuse me, they won at Miami in a close game, one score game. And then I think there were some, you know, questions about, hey, they're beating the Lions. They're beating the Packers. They beat the Saints. They beat the Bears. But they beat the Commanders. Beating the Bills was in Buffalo was a validating moment for them. Yeah, the one hesitation I have is all their victories this year, except for the first game of the year against the Packers, have been one-score games. Yes. Right, so those are toss-ups either way. That does, uh, that scares me a little bit, but they are obviously good, um, and they're going to be in the playoffs. they got a real shot. We're going to figure out, though, because they, they play Dallas. They play the Jets. They play uh, those red-hot Colts. They get the Giants before it's over. They are going to be a playoff team. Are they good enough to win? They, I think they need the home field in the playoffs. Of course, everybody who has the home field has a better advantage. That's Punch It Audio, best sound from all around. We'll try to get Anna on the show coming up. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We were talking about this earlier in the show, Anna. You have popped in now. We got your mic working. Uh, the uh, the cold weather it has hit Oregon. People in Utah are laughing at me. The uh, I reached out to the communications people for the University of Utah. Good people, but they're living in Siberia. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'll just show you a text that Paul Kirk, the uh, SID at uh, Utah, sent me. Um, this is from two weeks ago, his son's high school football game. Oh, my gosh. Okay. That much snow already? We would have canceled. <laughs> we would have canceled Thanksgiving. <laughs> we would have canceled. We would have canceled everything around It would have been off. Yeah. Um, but I, I texted them because I was texting them about getting Kyle Winningham on the show, the uh -huh. coach at Utah. And then I said, hey, by the way, if you're coming to the game, bring a jacket. It's really cold here. And they're like, yeah, You told yeah. them that. They yeah, we been, get it. They must have been amused by that. <laughs> we you get don't it. know cold. Yeah. What do you think that's about? Because Stephen and I are both the same. Stephen and I do not like cold weather. Mm -hmm. Judah doesn't mind it. Yeah. What about you? Well, I got to know, I mean, what kind of climate did Stephen grow up in? This that's one? A, that's a key. He's a local yokel. Like totally local? Yeah, totally local. Are you sure well, you weren't nabbed at like a mall and spend some people time brought you here? Years out of state in a sunny climate. I mean, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> as far as you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, normally I would think it's people who grew up in a warmer weather climate, uh, but maybe it just has to do with someone's constitution. You know, no. maybe the cold gets to you more, gets to some people that's more a, than that's others. That's offensive to me. Because it sounds to me like you're saying it's a character flaw. No, you're not it's very not tough. You're an outsider. Yeah, you're not tough. <laughs> Your constitution, like you can will it to be better. I don't think you can will it yourself to be better in the cold or better in the heat. I don't know. Maybe it has to do with like blood circulation, you know, hmm. or metabolism. Like I look at our six-year-old. Like any parent out there knows this, right? Yeah. Like, our six-year-old, something's different about her because everyone else will be in, like, seven layers, and she'll be totally fine in a T-shirt and shorts. It's just like, I'm hot. What's the problem? Yeah. And it mystifies me. Maybe that's just part of being a kid sometimes, I think. But uh, I don't know. Everybody's different. 
It's like that show that we started watching last night. Oh, we got this new show. Guys, what's it called? Alone. Have I, you guys seen this thing? It's like a survival, oh yeah. last man standing Wait, wait, show. you've seen Alone? Oh, yeah. Have you seen Alone, Judah? No. Okay. Judah has a newborn. He doesn't get to watch No, but this would be good for him Like he's when he's doing one of those bottle feedings in the middle of the night kind of situation. <laughs> Are you still doing that? I forget. Is your kid speaking to you now? Going to school? Kids in college. Driving a we car? Lost track. What is going on? <laughs> She pandemic, is, uh, man. I'm blaming the pandemic. Yeah, no, she's she's the best. She's 15 months almost. Okay. So right. no, so I'm she's not sleeping through her in the middle of the yeah. night. Yeah. If you were, that's it. If you were still bottle feeding her, we, that might be a different. Okay. Conversation. So this show's called Alone, mm-hmm. and essentially, where does it take place, Anna? You knew that you knew uh, the spot. Vancouver Island, not far from okay. here. Okay. So Vancouver Island, it's a little bit remote. They took 10 people, they put them on different parts of the island. You were able to bring 10, it's a reality show, you can bring 10 items, like a hatchet, a knife, maybe a flashlight, maybe a tarp, you know. Couldn't bring a gun or a weapon like that, because uh, that would have been number one choice for me. I would have got a flamethrower, <laughs> and I would have got a gun. Uh, but they're out, they're, they're dropped off, and they're given a camera. There's no camera crew with them, so they have no company. They are alone. And they are basically pitted against each other. Who can stay out there in the elements longer? And I got to be honest with you. There's bears. There's cougars. There's um, there's wolves. Wolves howling at night. People are just sleeping out under a tarp. And you know what I'm thinking the whole time? Man, it must be cold. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not worried about the bear. I'm worried about how uncomfortable it would be. How's that guy going to sleep? It's going to be cold out there. You're more worried about the weather than the bear? Yes. I'm not well, worried about the bear. The weather? Wow. Oh, <laughs> that sounds familiar. Um, the weather is turns out to be a key fact. I mean, we're, we're talking like we're experts. We on watched We've one watched episode. all of one episode. But, you know, on Vancouver Island, they were talking about how the humidity was 100%. It was very important for them to try and stay dry because once you get wet, it's very hard to no longer be wet, especially if you haven't figured out yet how to light a fire in those conditions. <laughs> oh who, who in this group of four, if we were stranded in those circumstances, would last the longest in the wild? Oh, for sure me. I don't know about that. I know it's not It's not me. <laughs> Steven's out. <laughs> I'm last. Steven would drop Steven off, and he'd be like, done! Uh, yeah, you drop me off, I'm, I'm hitting right the back. button. I'm hitting the button. Just, just pick me up. You're tapping out on day one. Yeah. Judah, that poor guy that tapped out on day one. Yeah. Can you imagine? One guy did. He, one guy did one night, and he said, I can't do it anymore. He, and he said he was scared. He was scared of the bears. Because he got there. I didn't know the bears hung out in the trees. Like, I, I've always thought, maybe I watch cartoons too much, that if a bear's chasing you, you climb up the tree. Well, there's that song, like, you know, bear in tennis shoes. I don't know about Jump that. Jump up the tree. Yeah. I don't know the song. Yeah. Can you sing it? No, you don't want me to sing it. Uh, Judah, how long would you last alone? Uh, I would just need... I'm, I'd be confident I could last a while, but I'd have to watch an episode of How to Survive mm-hmm. on that expert show. Like if that, <laughs> Yes. I don't know if you've heard of that show. Oh, but, thanks for the cross-promotion. That would be there. a really good Free idea to, wow. for a show. Yeah, that's what I, if I can get that, because, you know, the, the, the gal that delivers that, I mean, <laughs> it helps it resonate. Gal. So what are you seventy? Deeply. Hey, let me ask you. you a after what kinds of things would you guys want to bring in the wild? A flask. <laughs> food. You just want to get trash. Bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stephen's bringing food. Yeah, I need food. 
Because the one guy was eating like snails and mussels after the yeah. first night. I think uh-huh. he was showing off. Only one of the ten people got a fire going mm-hmm. within 24 hours. Yeah. Pretty uh, pretty amazing to see people struggle to light a fire. Because you always get those people, you ever go camping, you always have one person kind of showing off. Yeah. Oh, let me light a fire. And they, you know, they start a fire up. I actually want to go onto the website and see what their assembled 10 items are. Because I want to know if certain things were not allowed. Like, you know... On that first night, so many of the guys were concerned about finding water, like drinking water. They yeah. were worried about being dehydrated. So I'm like, couldn't some tablets solve that problem? Or could you have a canteen with water in it, you well, know, would, to start with? I mean, that's not going to Okay, here's the participant gear oh, you're list. Do it right now? I've got it. Okay. Take okay. Let's take you on this little journey, uh, folks. Okay, you can bring, uh, you can bring 10 special items from a master list. Oh, okay. So, Flint. um, By the way, uh, (laughs) ten items from the following from the following list. Lighter fluid isn't one of them. And you can choose only two food items. So you can bring uh, a tarp. Uh You can bring a rope. Yeah. You can bring uh, a sleeping bag, Mm -hmm. or you can bring a sleeping pad. You can bring a hammock. You can bring one pot, one pan. Uh, a bowl, a spoon, a water bottle or canteen, empty. Uh-huh. Now, these are just among the things. You yeah, have to yeah. pick your 10. Yeah. You can get a bar of soap, yeah. a tube of toothpaste. Who needs toothpaste? A face flannel. Oh, I'm getting that, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, dental floss. You can <laughs> dental get floss? a razor, a towel, a comb. What? Who now, would be a comb? You can get a uh, fishing line. You can get a uh, primitive bow, a long bow or a recurve bow. Oh, um, so you can have kind of a weapon. kind of a weapon, kind of a, a weapon. slingshot, oh, a foraging bag, yeah. um, a, a a snare or a wire, uh-huh. a block of salt. Oh, preserve your food. Now here's the food. You... Two pounds of beef jerky. Oh, okay. Two pounds of dried uh, legumes. <laughs> I'm getting that. <laughs> legumes. Um, you can get two pounds of flour, two pounds of chocolate, two pounds of gorp. What's biltong? You can bring biltong. I don't know whatever what biltong is. is. You, Somebody tell you me. You come what on the show and all you do is give me homework. I know, I know, I know. Okay, then you here are the tools cuz I would go right for the tools. Pocket uh-huh. knife, hunting knife, Leatherman multi-tool. Shout out to the Leatherman company here in Oregon. Hey. Um, brand name. Ice spikes, a scotch-eyed auger. What? I'm getting. I'm bringing. I don't the, even know what these things are. I'm bringing a scotch-eyed auger. Biltong. Biltong is uh, it's Dutch for meat strip. It is actually illegal to import into the United States. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's, like, it's like jerky, but but against the law. Against no. the law, jerky. Why? Because it's made of dried meat, ostrich. Dutch. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I I'm bring, haven't got that far. You can get a hatchet, a saw, and an axe. Well, those all feel very Yes important. to that. Here's the prohibited list. Oh, yeah. No lighters, fuel, or matches. Mm-hmm. No bug spray or mosquito spray. Oh, that's a problem. No sunscreen, no sunglasses, no goggles, no compass, no firearms, no ammunitions, no explosives, no animal poisons, no professional fishing rods, no hydration packs, no inflatable boats, no coolers or food storage boxes. So basically all the accoutrement that would help you help make life a little bit easier. And here's the prize, Judah, $500,000. Mm-hmm. Five hundred thousand dollars to would the you guys person do it? who lasts the longest. Would Leave you? Would you families? enter this competition? 
No, not at all. Maybe it's 600,000. The thing is, too, is you don't know who's been eliminated either. Right. That's the that's the hard part. So, like, someone could be out. You don't know. You don't know how many people uh, are left. Yeah. I think they should shoot off, like, in Hunger Games, like, some kind of sound. <laughs> Boom. Like, if you – like, when someone goes out, they yeah. should do that. Like, somebody's, you know, flame got extinguished. <laughs> That would be a really cool thing to do because you you should have to know how much you know like you know I don't I don't know something yeah like that mm. would like that, that work yeah that'd be great like if they also flew in little parachutes with uh, you know rescue bomb magic rescue bomb to heal wounds and things yeah that'd be that would be ideal I just think me. if we're gonna go all the way with this why not because it looked <laughs> like it kind of looked to me like naked and afraid but on a budget you know. <laughs> With no crew. Yeah. No one Yeah, it's on a budget. Yeah. Like, they're like, hey, we didn't have money for the crew. Shoot it yourself with a GoPro, <laughs> and good luck with the bears. That's immediately where my mind went. I was like, wow, look at all the money they saved not having to hire a photography crew to document these people's uh, adventures. But they say, but they spent money on clothes, so they didn't, they didn't save that much money. Naked and afraid, mm -hmm. you don't need clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Naked and good afraid. Point. As Mike good Leach point. said on this show many years ago, it's never the people you want to see naked and afraid. <laughs> I want you to leave it here. We're going to talk about Dan Lanning's uh, big decision uh, last Saturday. We'll dive deep on the psychology of it. And for Oregon fans who think, hey, this season's over, they're out of the playoff, think again. I think this season's just starting. Two games to go, plus a possible Pac-12 championship game. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Five at five coming up top of the hour. I can tell you that I will include uh, the news, uh, the Osiel Puig news. He's facing up to five years in prison. He has uh, agreed to plead guilty to lying to uh, the FBI during their investigation of an illegal gambling ring. Uh, he placed a whole bunch of bets uh, on, uh, it looks like, at least on baseball, excuse me, basketball, tennis, and football in uh, 2019, at least that time. 899 bets. He owed more than $300,000 in gambling losses. Uh, and he cut a couple of $100,000 checks to the operators of the illegal ring. Puig uh, pleading guilty to that. He faces some jail time. Uh, illegal gambling, gambling operation. Uh, I wrote today at johnconzano.com. I want to talk about this story for just a minute, and then we'll get on to the Oregon Ducks. I, I wrote about this nurse, this emergency room nurse, uh, what was it, last week, Andrea Perry. She's an ER nurse that saved the life of a fellow Washington State football fan. It was a couple of few weeks ago. She was in the right place. She was in the right time. She's the right person. She got a club-level seat that was donated to her. Her and her husband are both nurses. They happen to be in line at the concession stands. Guy who is in the uh, vicinity ends up collapsing. If you want to read that story, you can read it at johnconzano.com. Now, I had made a mental note to myself to update you on the journey of Andrea Perry. She uh, has colon cancer. She's in remission. And I thought, you know, this would be – people seem to care about her. Like a lot of people read that story. A lot of people responded to it. People care about her. So I said, mental note to self, follow up on her. I didn't intend that I would be following up on her today, which I did. But apparently she was, again, in the right place in the right time. Now, if you don't know her story, I encourage you to go to johnconzano.com and read it. But apparently she was on her way with her husband 
from Spokane to Pullman, driving on U.S. Route 95 between Spokane and Pullman. Don't get a ticket in Colfax. But they're on their way to go have breakfast at the RV of a donor for Washington State. The donor knew about her story, knew she had saved someone life, someone's life, invited her to come to this tailgate for their game on Saturday. They usually don't leave that early, but he invited them so they're on the road. Her husband is driving and notices that a silver sedan is pulled over on the shoulder of the road and that there's some commotion around the vehicle. Now, most of us kind of drive past and rubberneck and go, oh, look, someone's pulling over. Are they having road trouble? And we move on. Or maybe you call the non-emergency number and say, hey, there's a car pulled over. Or maybe you pull over and try to help, depending on the, on the scene. But her husband said to her, is that an accident? And by the way, they're first responders, you know, as medical personnel. So there is a requirement if there's a medical emergency for them to stop. But the husband says, hey, I think someone's on the ground as they're passing. So they pull over, and it turns out that the driver of that silver vehicle was a gentleman named Joe, who was on his way to the Washington State game with some friends. Now, when he was driving, he suddenly started to have seizures. He was slumped over. His vehicle began to cross the center line. He was leaned left towards the driver's side door. His friends reached over. They took control of the car. They were able to pull the car over safely to the shoulder, they got him out of the car. They believed he was having a stroke. They got him on the ground. When the heroic nurse that saved a life at the stadium just a couple of weeks ago suddenly found herself on the scene of an emergency again, Andrea Perry and her husband got out of their car and took over the scene. They began to uh, talk to 911 dispatchers on the phone. They began a stroke assessment. They got blankets on the patient. He started having a really bad seizure at one point. They turned him to his side. He, he turned blue, according to people who were there. The seizure ended. They rolled him on his back. They used a jaw thrust to open his airway and get him some air. Um, she told the state trooper who had pulled over after this, hey, get life flight. We're going to need a life flight for this guy. I think he's having a stroke. There's some kind of brain issue. So they arranged for a life flight. Joe apparently is still hospitalized today. It turns out it was a brain tumor. They're doing more tests on him. But here's Andrea Perry, who, by the way, right place, right person, right time again. Um, I don't know what you make of this. Maybe this is just what first responders do. They see trouble, they pull over, they run toward it. But Andrea and her husband have now helped two struggling strangers in three short weeks. Saved a life of a guy who needed CPR at the stadium. Now they have encountered somebody else on the way to a Washington State football game who needs help. I can't decide. I told her this. I got her on the phone. I said, I can't decide if I want to hang out with you or not. Like, am I going to have a medical emergency around you, or are you going to save my life if I do? So um, I just, thinking about this lady, what do you make of this story? I, I'm just blown away by it. I mean, it's one of those things where I happen to think that, you know, this kind of thing isn't really a coincidence. It's like she really was there. Um, and had the skills to apply to save these the lives of these two men in different circumstances. But I also, it just makes me think of, you know, other friends of ours who are in the medical profession, who have worked in ICUs, especially through the pandemic and everything that they've been through. 
and it just makes me so grateful yeah. for people who are in that line of work. What do you believe, or what do you think is going on here, Stephen and Judah? Right yeah. place, right time. Yeah, I mean that's it's just lucky, right, that that person is there, and and they recognize these that they have these gifts, right, that they can help people out, and then they act on it. So. Yeah, I mean, just right place, right time, and uh, you know, I mean, he, you know, people throw out the word hero, but like that is very heroic of those people to stop and make sure and take care of others uh, before themselves. So, yeah, hats off to that, man. That's awesome. Something going on here, Judah. What do you make of it? It's, it's amazing. I mean, I I think of coaches telling their athletes to like visualize situations so you're ready for the moment when the moment comes. Mm. But it's like even more so when people's lives are on the line. Like I. I would like to think I would do everything I could in some of those high leverage life moments, but you know I don't have the training that this this woman does. And uh, but it is amazing. I mean, she she did the right thing at the right time twice. I mean, that's that's incredible, John. When I read yeah. your story in my in my inbox today, I couldn't believe it. But y'all was on the floor again. Yeah, I feel like there's something bigger going on here. Like I just don't believe like this is accidental. I think, you know, she's struggling with colon cancer herself. Maybe there's a reason she's put in this position. Obviously, she saved one life. This this gentleman probably would have survived anyway, but I just think the fact that she's there on the scene. And she, by the way, did not reach out to me. I had a third party reach out to me and say, hey, you're not going to believe what happened. You need to get that <laughs> nurse on the phone. And there were people at the scene who were going, hey, you're the nurse who saved the guy's life the other day. What are you doing here? I recognize so, you. Yeah, I recognize you. So I just think it's a really cool story. And I thank you if you're a nurse, a doctor, a first responder, troopers, you know, state police, local police. Thank you for what you do. I want you to know that. Five at five coming up. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, right here in Portland on 750 The Game, we will have Monday Night Football coming up. Better matchup than last week on Thursday Night Football. But if you are a uh, football fan, you love some football, the Washington football team, that's what they're known as forever. We'll be playing against the Eagles. Good chance to see the 8-0 undefeated Lightning in a Bottle Eagles on Monday Night Football or hear them right here on 750 The Game. John Robinson, USC football coach, longtime USC football coach, will be joining us later in the week on this show. I've been uh, exchanging messages with John Robinson. He's like 95 years old. It's a treasure, that guy. We'll be talking to him later in the week about coaching football, USC. Is he heartbroken over what's going on with USC and UCLA leaving the conference? The UC Regents will meet uh, later this week in San Francisco to talk about the fate of UCLA. I don't know. Are people tuned into that, guys? Is, this, is that newsy, the Regents stuff, or is that too inside baseball and people just want to see the football games? I mean, I think yeah, I want to know what the result is. I don't really care to, like, watch it go down live or anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, let me know what happens, and I'll be excited. There you go. So we will uh, get to the bottom of that as UCLA will find out its fate Thursday and Friday, UC Regents meeting. I would expect some media rights news on the Pac-12 front shortly after that. And then some expansion. 
potentially some expansion decisions. If you are somebody who's waiting to figure out what happens with UCLA, I think these things are all connected because I think the uh, Pac-12, you know, look, a source at the Pac-12 headquarters told me that they have asked for valuations from media partners that include UCLA as part of the equation and don't. So I think they are going to model that for UCLA and say, look, if you stay in the conference, here's what you get. Is it really worth it for you to leave? And then hope that UCLA backtracks. The hope is to keep the LA market and therefore get more money. If that happens and UCLA stays in the Pac-12, I would expect San Diego State would be the only addition. If UCLA leaves, and I think there's about a 90% chance they do leave, I would expect that it's going to be San Diego State and maybe one other university, maybe SMU, maybe UNLV. Although academically, I don't think UNLV is a great fit. But keep an eye on that. Big news coming Thursday and Friday. Let's get the five at five done. The five at five. Well, we had some news today in the Major League Baseball American League Rookie of the Year vote. Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners wins the AL Rookie of the Year. Good job by Julio Rodriguez. But I was more tuned into who was second and third. Two Oregon State alums, Adley Rutschman with the Orioles, and Stephen Kwan with the Guardians finished second and third in the American League Rookie of the Year voting. If you are Beaver baseball, you got to love it. Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year, though, is Julio Rodriguez. Big part of the Mariners' success in their run in the playoffs this year. Hopefully a guy who sticks around a long time. That's number one. Number two in our five at five. Bo Nix up in the air. His status uh, remains uncertain. We'll hear from Oregon coach Dan Lanning in his Monday night media address, but I don't expect Oregon's going to tell us whether or not Bo Nix is going to go. I think they're going to be vague about it. I think they're going to talk potentially about Nix being available, not being available, up in the air, game time decision. There's just no advantage to Oregon letting us know early on what's going on. But Bo Nix is an important part of what Oregon does on, on offense. I mean, he is at the center of it. He was the guy that we talked about as the Heisman Trophy candidate. Oregon's got to stop Utah on Saturday. Utah, what do they do every year? They game their season to be playing their best football late in the year. And here they are in November playing their best football. Utah's dangerous, and they're coming to Autzen Stadium on Saturday. It's going to be really dramatic. It's going to be really interesting. Will the Ducks be able to stop them on defense? And will Bo Nix play? That, that's it. Those are the questions. The third thing in our five at five. A former University of Virginia football player is suspected of killing three current players and wounding two other students on campus late on Sunday night. He's in custody. Authorities said the suspect in the shooting, Christopher Jones Jr., was apprehended without incident this morning. 22 years old, he's charged with three counts of second-degree murder. He was listed as a freshman running back on the team's roster four seasons ago. Two other students were shot and hospitalized. One's in good condition, one's in critical condition. But... Uh, uh, the, the shooting took place on a charter bus after students returned to campus from a field trip. Sad, shocking, tragic. I can't find words for this kind of stuff. I don't, I just, I don't know. 
I just don't know what's going on. I, uh, I wish it weren't. I wish we didn't have incidents like this. Classes and academic activities have been canceled. Basketball game uh, that was supposed to take place Monday night was canceled. And uh, campus mourning and hurting right now in Virginia. Top 25 basketball polls out. North Carolina and Gonzaga are 1-2 in the poll. North Carolina doesn't look dominant. And Gonzaga doesn't look dominant either. It's too soon to say. I think we're going to see a revolving door, as we have seen in some other recent seasons, as teams sort of cycle in and out. Baylor, Kansas, UCLA, Arkansas, Creighton, all in the top ten. Uh, by the way, Duke and Villanova are both uh, breaking in new coaches. Duke is at seven in the rank in the polls. Keep an eye on them, uh, Stephen. What do you see in college basketball right now? I, to me, it's murky and muddy. Yeah, I mean, you talk about North Carolina. We forget that they were an eight seed in the NCAA tournament. It wasn't as if they were a dominant team last season, and then they made that run. So to be the preseason number one, it's probably right, but at the same time. It wasn't like they were a great last season. And then Gonzaga just doesn't necessarily have, you know, the NBA superstar potential like they have in the past. So I'm with you. I think that's very wide open, especially at the start of this year. And, you know, you look at the Pac-12, uh, Dana Altman and the Ducks get blown out by UC Irvine the other night. Uh, you know, I think a lot, I think just teams are, uh, basketball is so skilled now. So I think it just, you know, helps everybody out. The Miami Marlins made history. They promoted Carolina O'Connor to president. She's president of business operations. First major U.S. sports franchise to have women simultaneously serving as president and GM. Kim Eng is the general manager. She was hired in November of 2020. Two years later, the Marlins have promoted Carolyn O'Connor, made her president. O'Connor was introduced today. By the way, she's just the second woman to serve as president of a Major League Baseball team. Seattle's Katie Griggs was the other. But uh, O'Connor was brought to the Marlins by Derek Jeter in 2017. She moved from senior vice president to chief of staff to chief operating officer. Aang handles the on-field business. O'Connor runs the off-field business. A lot of girls saying, go Marlins. That's your five at five. How about that, guys? Yeah, that's not, a pretty not, cool story. Yeah, not just girls saying go Marlins. I mean, I'm saying go Marlins. I think it's yeah. I think it's awesome. You know, if it doesn't matter yeah. who can do the job, if they do the job well, like give them the job. And I, I think it's great that the Marlins are doing that. I think it's cool because I'm a Giants fan, and I'll still root for the Giants first. But I think the Marlins are going to be my second team. And and part of it is, look, I'm going to be honest. Like I have three daughters, and I want them to be able to look at pro sports and go, hey, there's a path for me there. And I don't think that, that, that people always felt that way or looked at things that way. Uh, Monday Night Football is coming up right here on 750 The Game. You can read me exclusively at johnconzano.com. If you want to read me, get a free subscription, get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. I'm back tomorrow with another great show. we got great shows all week. This college football season just got interesting. Oregon in control of its destiny.